Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about the ideal group size. So the ideal group of players for your game, what is it? And how do you determine what that is? So I think for the most part, there is no answer except the group size that you have the most fun with. But, you know, that doesn't really help uh, in this, this conversation. So what really is the ideal group size? I think a lot depends on the GM, the group itself, uh, and the game you're playing. For example, I would think something like Dungeons & Dragons, or not Dungeons & Dragons, but I would think something where it's, there's a lot of technical combat, uh, a larger group gives you more... Uh, options? Exactly, more options and gives you more ways to tackle a situation. The more players and more characters, you have more skills, more hit points to bring to bear on a, on a creature, more attacks and all that. And so I think somebody <laughs> called it the action economy, right? So, for example, you know, if you're battling one monster and you have five people attacking it, there's five attacks to every monster, one attack. And, you know, and that could change depending on levels and all that other stuff. So that, that still is what's going on. So in a combat heavy game, for example, let's say, for example, Dungeons and Dragons, you have this idea of the ideal, uh, what is it? Uh, not the ideal group size, but the, uh, what is it? The balance party. You know, you should have, you know, I don't even know what a balance party is, but you should have this, you should have that. You know, what it was what like, you should have like a, uh, a frontline fighter you should have a range fighter and all and a, a cleric or somebody who heals you and of course you need a, a sorcerer who throws or a, a, a spell thrower that throws magical combat spells you know and all kinds of other things could play into uh what is it the the balance party and so and, and why is this idea why is there idea, an idea of a balance party the idea is because i think you know you have these pre-written modules that that have certain things written into them and you need, you know, this type of a skill to get past it. You know, to find a secret door, you need a thief in the old days or a rogue in in the newer era. Without a rogue, you can't get past this door or you, or you can make it, it'll be exceedingly difficult to try to find a door. Or as a GM, you just say, oh, you find a secret door, you know, by chance. To, to be able to continue the game. So I think that's why D&D especially, you know, or any game like that, you need this balanced party and that means you need a bigger party because, you know, it's hard to have a balanced party of two. The first time I ran into this was when we were playing, I think it was Pathfinder. What are they? The path, what's the, the Pathfinder Society? Yeah. Uh, when we went, Augustine was small. When we went to a gaming store and we sat down and they said, well, this is what we have in the party, and here are the character sheets that you can choose from. They were pre-made characters. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they decide because that was the first time I ever thought about that. You had to have, you could only have one thing of each kind so that the bout party was balanced. Oh, you could have, like, two sorcerers. Yeah, which is very odd to me because Saul's never done that. He just lets you make your whatever character you want, and then you figure it out. If you don't have a rogue, you don't have a rogue. You have a barbarian who's going to use an axe to take the door down. Right? <laughs> that kind of thing. Forget sneaking. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not sneaking this. We're not a sneaking type of party. So balanced seems kind of odd but um, to me, but I know that there's a whole 
I've read a whole lot of stuff about it and I understand where people are coming from. But that kind of makes your ideal party size. Um, you have to have certain people to play certain roles. Right. And that would make it hard if you only have three people in your group or you only have two people in your group. And I heard some of the way that people fix this is they have people play two characters or they have they rent a mage for the adventure or something like that, <laughs> rent right? Rent a mage. Well, <laughs> that kind of thing. You have your soldiers are traveling with you. Ireland's. Uh, yes. So that's funny that you mentioned Pathfinder Society because that's I specifically in my notes, you know, even though we were working this on our own, you know, I put down another thing is Pathfinder Society and Adventures Club for D&D. Adventures League. Adventures League, they they want tables of six and eight, right? Because the modules are built for for the balanced party, right? For everybody to be able to do something. And what happens if there's none of that there? I think you know we played with this idea of with that we were all going to play. Uh, was it gnomes? No, gnomes and we're all gonna rogues. Be ro- right. Rogues ro- and gnomes? Ro- was it rogues? I don't know. We're all going to be one class and one race. <laughs> The, the GM didn't go for it. It was <laughs> he goes. I don't think it'd be such a good idea, but but we almost had it. We we had a bunch of short people. Uh, you know, we, of course, you know, getting eight people to to agree on one thing was a bit difficult. So, well, some people broke ranks, players, but the, for the most part, that we had like two dwarves, a gnome, a halfling, and something else, and then somebody. I think you were the only person that was playing a normal person. Which was a sorceress, right? Of course. Yes. I think that... But that threw off the GM because we were not balanced. We still weren't balanced, right. Because we, we were doubling up on certain... Uh, Aspects. Yeah. Or, you know, peoples. Yeah. It was funny. But what I, but I, what I was going to say is that... Uh, so they encourage this idea of a balanced party. They encourage this idea of a larger group of six to eight players. Because, you know, the larger the party the more resources you have to bear on whatever problem is going to come up. And sometimes like, like you said, you know, they, they, you know, when you're gearing up to play at a organized play event, you know, sometimes you don't know anybody and sometimes you might know one or two, but you're like, okay, what player, what kind of character? And that, that discussion does happen. Okay. You're going to play your character. You're, you're going to play your, your ranged rogue. Okay. I'm going to play this. Okay. Okay. What do you, and then there's that discussion in front of the game. And it just, bugs well, the, hell out of me but that has to do a lot with organized play right right these are people who a lot of these people who do organized play are people who can't or are in a new area or they're not playing with the same group they've been playing with for 30 years like you they don't know people they're new to the game or you know they they are tired of their group and they want to go find something different so and the organized the organized part of the play leads to the group size right because adventures league has built their modules to be able to play anywhere at this from level one to level whatever for each season as they go so that you can start a character and go through the whole thing and you can but that's the way that it's made right that's the it's, it's particularly all the adventures are the same in the room that you're playing, right? Maybe they're first or second level, but they're all a module. Everybody's playing, you know, the first level character for this season, right? Yeah. 
I only know that because I, I read it on Facebook. <laughs> um, so it lends to having that kind of balance party, that idea that that you have to have a certain number of people in your party and they have to all be different things. Correct. Yes. So I think this is what causes D&D to be, to be thought up, thought as a game that needs a large group, a large group of people because that's this play style, right? You know, that's just the way it's built. It's built to have... You know, a fighter, a magic user, uh, a cleric at the very least, and you throw in a rogue and maybe somebody who can could do combat from far away, you know, like a range combat, like a ranger or whatever. And and I think organized play, no matter what game you play, really brings that to the forefront, right? It really brings that idea of this balanced party that you don't want to double up on certain types of characters because that doesn't really that isn't really useful. And blah, 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 blah. And you're right. I think for the most part, a lot of uh, organized play uh, attracts a lot of people who are new to an area or are trying out the, you know, uh, role playing for the first time. Uh, but I know people who love organized play. They, you know, I know people who, when we first started playing Pathfinder, organized play, before fifth edition had even come out with Augustine, I met some people that I still see playing organized play to this day. Well, uh, when we were still before COVID, you know, and I still remember a couple of people's names because I played with them and, you know, they just stuck out in my head and they're still playing organized play. When we went to uh, the last convention, well, not the last one, but we went somewhere. I think it was Kublacon or even, uh, even uh, Pacificon. Uh, I saw the same people playing and, and Augustine was, what 11 when he was playing organized play so over five years and they're still playing organized play so it retains certain people who just like that style of play they like that a lot of that is uh i guess it's it's well they put out new new things every oh, yeah. year and yeah, they make they new, new campaigns and so so it gives you the the sense of completion right yeah, yeah. and it also you know that you can go to anywhere that has an organized play event going on right. and you are part of it so you know what's going on right and a lot of people you know who are organized play in a certain area they begin to know everybody else and they like you know they like right. getting together with those people They're right not, that's no how longer. you make friends and, yeah. and, have and they just like playing that style so D&D certain games will, and certain genre games will not demand but would like or would prefer the, the preferred method of people and the preferred amount of people to play is you know between over five, right? Like D and D, or you could just have four for D and D, and then just have a figure risk. out what to do when you come into contact with something that. Well, if you don't have a healer, then you need to make sure you have a bunch of healing potions <laughs> with you. You know, things like that. Well, in the old days, you used to have hirelings, you know, and you know, and in D and D online. Yes, you know, there are higher. There are higher. You, you can hire a cleric or magician. Augustine and, and Alan are always complaining. <laughs> I hear them all the time about that. Their that their cleric won't won't heal <laughs> themselves. They'll die. <laughs> That's hilarious. So it's like they hire this cleric to heal them when like they obviously want to get hurt, and like man, why is my cleric healing me? And it's it's funny to see. Yes, they still play D and D online. I don't know. They go through phases like that. I, I don't. I hadn't seen them play. D and D online for what two years probably, and they're on it now. Yeah. Let me tell you, they're on it all the time. Even got me to play out a little bit. So that's one thing. Like the type of game is gonna is gonna make you, or not make you, but is gonna push for a certain number of players. For you know, and for example, a spy game, you don't need a group of eight players at your table. 
because if you have eight spies working together, you're you're in you're in big trouble. Spy does have their no, it does have their uh, their support people, right? Yeah. And what, what's his name? Uh, this famous spy, James Bond. James Bond. You know, but he's kind of a loner, right? Because because he usually doesn't have a partner. Where in other spy games or spy games, in other spy movies and shows that there's a a partner for like. What is it like? Uh, Remington Steele. Remington Steele. Yes, right. There was a, well, he, she was the real smart one, and he was just the face, right? And then there was the the old one where he's a tennis star. What's it called? I don't remember. The one with Robert Culp. You're going way back beyond my my years of of knowledge. So there's that group of two. I think the only other group is uh, Mission Impossible. They were a group of people who were spies, right? And they each had their own, you know, talents. But that number was still pretty low. I think they had like three five, or five, four, five people at the most. Yeah, I don't, yeah, you know, I'm trying to remember the characters from the from the TV show and the movies. I think that's four or five. So I think ga- games like that would requ- would not require, but but bring the number of the perfect uh, party members. Yes, the perfect yes, uh, number of people playing, and I think that's that's just part of the genre you know of, of the spy game you know you know other games you know maybe horror games i don't know it seems to me like horror games they work better in smaller groups i guess it just depends too and that brings you to the fact of what is your group comfortable with and what is the gm comfortable with running right how many people is the gm comfortable running because right that kind of determines how much fun you're going to have right yes so of all the of all the criteria i think the gm's ability to handle the number of players is probably the number one considerations you should have on the size of your party or the size of the groups that you're playing with and like in the old days when i was playing dnd adnd it was like eight people yeah let's all get together and play games i mean we used to get we used to have these large parties and large groups of people playing I'm trying to think of uh of the, of the who who used to play well you know there was always me sip felipe Ward, Mark, Don, Mike. Stop naming their last names, dude. I'm sorry, Mike, uh, Tom. I mean, so that's eight players right there, and we probably had another. We probably were a group of about ten players, or ten people, and one person GMing. Now, at one point, uh, Tom, Rick, and uh, Mike they decided to be co-GMs, and they ran their famous staff campaign. And uh, famous to you people, not to the <laughs> entire world. <laughs> Well, infamous, you know, because to us, you're right. You know, everybody. It was basically like the there was a campaign for ADD called the Staff of Seven Parts or something like that. The Staff of Seven Parts, and basically they had thought of this like I think even before that came out. So, so it was this big grand campaign that they wanted to run, and it was pretty cool. The little that I remember of it, because I think I wasn't always there. Anyway, uh, so you know, those were large groups of players. I mean, we were like playing with ten people. I remember when we were playing at at Steinbeck, you know, Felipe literally could not turn away people, so he accepted kids, you know, kids for at the time were anybody younger than me, and he had tables of 10 kids, 8 kids all the time, and me, and Mike. I think the ideal group size has definitely gone down from the old days, because in the old days there was no ideal group, it's, hey, everybody can play, and I think... Uh, people have become more more they only want certain a certain they only want three other players so they only want to run for three people 
or they only want to run for five people. Well, they're more aware of, of what is it? Group of, dynamics. Of Group dynamics is one thing and also GM resources, right? The yeah. mental capability of being able to keep track of everything that's going on. Now, keeping track of what eight players is do, are doing is different than keeping track of what four players is doing. It just your mental load is much less you know your cpu your brain is running much cooler than when you have eight players telling you what they're doing and then you got to remember what they're doing and you got to deal with you know so it's just a lot of bandwidth i'm not using computer terms and stuff but that's the you know it, it is it's people have a it's difficult to keep track of all these things are going on and the less you have to keep track of the easier it is for the gm you know just like a player like the difference between a player and a gm as a player all i gotta worry about is my own character right I'm like wow. as a gm you have to worry about a lot more things than that <laughs> right and then if you compound it with more each and every player so i th- i think people have become cognizant of that what i've learned more. from running for large groups because uh-huh. <laughs> mostly that's all i run for because there's a bunch of you i think there's seven of you maybe eight is the most important thing is to make sure that you like if you're in combat with that many players you need to make sure everybody knows that their turn is coming up and that they need to do something on their turn or they're going to get passed over and they'll have to come back to them because you don't want to stop the 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 momentum of the gameplay right you want everybody to feel like they're special they get to do something and like Saul says you shine that spotlight on different people at different times right and give them their chance to to have their their moment where they can kill a monster with 96 points of damage or something like that right spotlight didn't exist back in the old days no <laughs> either you're the, the loudest player cogging up all the all the spotlight or all the attention back then it was called and or you know or if you didn't care you would just sit back and go along for the ride so the, a lot of the things have changed too about GMing, right? There's the idea of a spotlight. The, there's the idea of every player should have a time in the game or in the adventure or in the session to really put on their character skills or what they're good at, and you know, and, and stuff like that. You know, that that stuff did not exist for me 20, 30 years ago when we were playing. 40 years ago. So things have changed too as far as the the idea of GMing and what it means to be a GM. So because of that, I think people are more aware that that GMing is a very difficult thing. And so and GMs themselves are aware, man, this is a lot of work. I wanna make sure that everybody and I think we're everybody's having fun, but I think because of the times that we're in, we don't want people who are bored at our games. We don't you know that was I was I mean, unless they were like literally, you know, throwing spitballs at you because they were bored, you didn't care if they were bored. You know, the GM would present stuff, and if you were bored, well, you know, okay, maybe next time you'll be you'll have fun. Most GMs, I mean, we're talking a long time ago, they didn't care. I mean, they really were like, this is what I'm putting on. If you don't like it, well, too bad. It's on you. Everybody else is. Most of the people are having fun. That's like get with the program, or or move on. I think more, more and more people these days are more concerned about everybody having fun. Everybody having a safe zone. Attempting to make sure that everybody is enjoying themselves, trying to trying to give them the chance to shine in the spotlight. Right. Because you know, there's all kinds of different things when you're in a party of five or six people. It's going to be harder to to make sure of that. You can only give them the opportunity. And you're not you're not responsible for everybody 
for each person being happy or enjoying themselves, no, no. they're responsible for bringing themselves to the game and doing that. So when you're talking about party size, those are the things that you take into consideration as a GM, right? Right. How how many people can I handle? Yes. As in, like, when I, I don't mind running for a large group, but I also make sure that they're in charge of their own combat stuff, right? I don't want to know that you, you, I don't want you to tell me two turns later that you did it wrong or I gave you the wrong number of, of hit point damage that I did or I did this wrong or if you're going right. to do that, you know, that's fine, but it's, I'm not going to be responsible for going back and changing anything. Or, or just, you know, be like, for example, players who don't know how to play and, and they don't know what die to roll, right? And stuff like that. You know, oh, oh, what do I roll for damage? Well, okay, I, as a GM with a large group, you cannot continue to be telling that player, oh, this this is 2d8, this is 1d, what weapon, you know. Th- that, like I said, that stuff cannot happen because you don't have enough time to spend with that one player. Yes, but then you also have other players that will pick up the slack for you right. on That's that kind of thing. That's what I'm saying. Because, like, like, I don't always know... I mean, I know my when I'm a player, yes. I know what I'm going to yes. do on my turn and what my spells do or what I can do. Except, like, if you're playing any game that you're not familiar with, like Traveler, right? I have no idea how the <laughs> combat works. And I'm just looking at it going, well, I can only use this blade if my strength is so high. And there's different kinds of criteria, right? So different kinds of things. But... I have people that are there telling me, okay, you're fine. Just roll the two dice and I'll tell you what happens. Well, even me, I forgot I forgot exactly how combat worked. I know there was that table, <laughs> <laughs> which I, which is actually really useful. Saul laughs at me because I said that Traveler was crunchy <laughs> because I'm looking at all these tables and all these charts going, what the hell am I doing? Well, you should... <laughs> I'm like going, I'm reading the instructions or the instructions. I'm reading the, the, and it was more like an instruction book than like the fifth edition D and D book. Cause it was written a long time ago and I'm looking at it going, what does he mean? And Augustine and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what yeah, it meant. And so Augustine funny. just took it literally and goes, this is the way we're going to do it. Yes. Well, I mean, I think which works, which probably the best way to do it. I think it's funny that you call it crunchy. I mean, I never thought of it as crunchy, but he says you know. it's only two d six. Well, fine, but you have to know what your two d six roll means. <laughs> well, that's what's weird is that is that I totally forgot how, you know, what uh, what bonuses you get for having a high like for like for example, I don't know, if, and I forgot what what dictates what. For example, de- de- dexterity or strength. Does dexterity or strength help your your range combat or your or your physical combat skill i mean like D D, you know if you have an 18 it's plus four to whatever you hit with a sword right and in traveler i don't remember if you got any bonuses for having a high stat you know there's that table that tells you you know well unfortunately no there's no table in in in, in uh, traveler that gives you like all the plus and minuses depending on the range and depending on the on the type of armor and and what you're and, and what you're i guess it's it's built into that table so i'm gonna this is totally side discussion because we're talking about traveler so in classic traveler they would give you pluses and minuses to add to your die roll to get over of, of, of above eight 
That's what you need to roll on two six side dice to succeed or to hit or whatever. So in the original Traveler book, it would have like uh, the different types of armor and it would give you pluses or minuses depending on what kind of weapon. And then it had a range and it would give you pluses and minuses depending on what kind of range. And then it was a plus or minus depending on what your relevant uh, characteristic was. Like if it was a strength and you didn't have the proper strength to live lift a two-handed sword, it would give you like a big minus. So there's all that. So, I say crunchy. <laughs> so I guess it was a little crunchy. But then this, there's this little, there's a little box game called Snapshot. Also came in a little box that's about the size of the, the same size that the Traveler little little black books came in, and it was called Snapshot. Snapshot, and it was by the same company, and it was ship, uh, person to person ship combat game. And in that in that game, so there's a clue, clue, very helpful clue if you ever played. Uh, they might have fixed it in, in second edition Mongoose, whatever it is. So, in uh, in that game, if you're playing Classic Traveler, there is a little. You could probably find it online. There's a table called the Snapshot Snapshot Combat Table, and in it, it does all the math for you, and it puts it on a one big table. It's a little fold-out sheet, and it basically has all that those numbers figured out. So it just gives you the plus. So you just look up the range, you look up the armor, boom. This is what the plus or minus is. He says it like that's easy because <laughs> I saw this this chart table thing, and <laughs> Philip put it out on uh, so we could all see it, and I'm still looking at it going, I don't know. I'm just going to roll the dice. You all tell me if I did anything. <laughs> And so Philip just goes, well, do you have, what's this and what's this? And so I tell him and then he goes, okay, this is what it is. You need to get this. And I'm like going, okay, it's very crunchy (laughs) to me because I have no clue as to the dynamics of the combat because it was the first time I'd ever played Traveler. So, so when you say that you, you're not going to wait for a player or you shouldn't have to wait for a player to know all the rules of the fighting, it totally depends on what game you're playing and stuff like that. Right. And I'm, I'm talking about the, a game you've been playing for a while. I understand. Yes. I understand. So so you're right. In this case, Traveler, we were all learning, relearning. So <laughs> like I hadn't played, literally, I, I'm trying to think of the last time I played Traveler. It's probably been over 30 years. So I don't think I played Traveler since before I was 22. I, I believe mean, after you. 22. I believe you. Because I was playing Traveler up until the time I was... I left for college, which I didn't leave for college until I was 21. Uh, it took me three years of community college to, to get out of there. But uh, so it was it was really literally. And then back then, I don't know how I learned how to play Traveler. People just told me how to play, and I took their word at it. I never read the book. I mean, I bought the book. I had the books. I rebought them, and I sold them. I wish I never showed have sold them. And uh, as I had, because I had the original first. Anyway. <laughs> But uh, but I never really actually read the rules on how to play because back then people would just tell you how to play. That's how you know. That's how we learned how to play a lot of games. We didn't actually have to learn how to play it our own way, and so you know, or by ourselves, right? Like like today's board games when we open the rule rule book and we're like, oh, okay, this. And so so and then you go to YouTube and find someone who will tell you what you're supposed right. to do. So back then, a lot of it was just. Somebody figured out how to play, and if you played with that person, they would tell you, show you how they played. And depending on how smart that person was and how carefully they wrote, read the rules, you were either playing really close to what the person, the intended way of playing, or not. 
And so I never, we never really thought about. It. I never like a D. We we started with the original D and D rules, and I remember reading the reading those rules, and I didn't remember thinking it was all that difficult to understand. But it was really basic, and so a lot of it was just okay. I read how to make a character. Boom! I made a character. Let's play the game, and then the rest of it was Felipe, my older brother, who got me hooked on D and D. Showed us how to play, and uh, and every game that we like traveler the only game that i think that i really le- needed to le- read the rules to learn to play was gamma world and space opera and space opera was a terrible written book uh, for rules but we figured it out and you know people say oh you know i still see it on 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 online on facebook groups that's a terrible game it's unplayable well dude i go it's not unplayable because i played it i ran two 10-year campaigns and I and I ran it at a con and with people who have never played it. Of course, I had very a very crunchy home, system. I, I, I had a you know homebrew a little bit to, for playing at a convention, but for for the most part, we were using all the rules to to play that game. I just streamlined it a bit. So so party size. We totally got off party size. Saul went way <laughs> off on that one. Sorry. So I remember con games right when I run a con game. I remember con, remember con games running con games for to eight players, and then if somebody wanted to come in, I'd run for nine players, and uh, I didn't think anything of it, you know. As this is twenty years ago, and maybe twenty five years ago. So, but as now, I probably wouldn't run for eight players. In fact, when I when I run at cons, my maximum player limit is six, simply because it's easier for me and and there, there's there's the there's the idea is that as you have more players you, there's more chance that you that players are not going to be left out they're not going to have time you know to shine no spotlight time and stuff like that and it's harder for you as a gm to pay attention to those games so my even me within my own world of how i look at rope running games my player count has gone lower when i run games for at conventions now when i run home games you know i can sometimes not that i can care less if people are bored but i think uh everybody in your home games though is very mouthy and tells you exactly what they think <laughs> and a lot of them are you've been playing with since you were 11 or 12 <laughs> so it's not like it's it's not quite the same as I, playing with yeah, people you don't know i agree it's weird how that dynamic is it is weird how that dynamic is how i I can run a game with eight players, people I know for a long time, and I don't know. I don't think any. I don't know if any of them feel left out or feel like they're not. If they do feel effect. left out, they will tell you. <laughs> in okay, depth. Well, they haven't told me so. And detail. <laughs> well, they haven't told me, so I guess that's a good thing. So I think a lot your your ideal group size is dependent on three things: the GM, the game, and the genre. Right. So all those. Three, the GM is probably the most important since that's the person who's running the game, and how comfortable comfortable they are at the uh, group size. Because if they look at an eight player group and like, oh my god, how am I going to run this game? One, the GM is in trouble because they're lacking, you know, the confidence to run that game, and the players are in trouble because when a GM is not thinking that they're going to be able to do their best, they probably won't be able to do their best because they're they lack the confidence. So it's whatever the GM is comfortable with. Now, if the GM is comfortable with four players, I mean, I've, I know that there's, there's some GMs out there that go, oh, yeah, I won't run for anything more than four players. 
Well, and that's understandable. If if they're not comfortable running for a large group, then they shouldn't do it because they know what they have planned out. They know what the adventures looks like for right. them. So, if you add in an extra player or two, then that might throw them totally off. Right. Exactly. Especially if you have everything set up for what the encounters are supposed to be and what you you think is going to happen, which will never actually happen the way that you that you think it's going to happen. But right. but you need to know what you can handle. Right. So like like I said, I, when I run a game at a con at six, I remember running my Tecmo game, Bethorn, and uh, I had made six characters, and that's all. And and basically, I needed six players. I couldn't run it. You know, running without one. There was one character that could be kind of like I could leave out, but I definitely needed. I would have liked to run with six players because it, all the, char- the char- characters were interconnected and had, you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of intrigue going on, and so eliminating one character would have been tough. Two would have been almost ridiculously tough, and so I was really lucky that every time I ran that game, I got six players, and. And so that was, I think to me, that's about the, the, the nice limit for me. I like to have as many players as I can because I want to entertain as many players as I can. And for me, six is a good number. Other people, it's four. And I don't mind running for eight people, people I, I really know well. And and I think that has a lot to do with it. If you know the people well, you've been playing with them for a long time. It's easier to do, to have a larger group, right? Yes. Because you can tell if if steve is bored which never happens by the way or if you know augustine is off doing something else you realize that you need to bring him back in right whereas if you don't know the people you can't you don't know that you, you can't tell their ticks or you yes, don't know the what tells. their tells are yes. right yes <laughs> so that has a lot to do with with the number of players that you can run for comfortably. What do you think is your, your, your ideal group size? I don't know because I've never really had an... I'm, I I just... There's the people that want to play and th- they're the people that make the characters, right? And then you run for them. Right. Because you... I've been around you too long and you're a group of friends. <laughs> and you don't want to... You know, uh, I'm not going to tell up. someone, no, you can't play. Oh, no, that's, that, you're the seventh person. I Sorry, can I can six. only run for six. Yes, that is my problem too is that I, I can... It's hard for me to say no. But I think most people realize that when you're running for a big group, uh, at least, you know, your friends, uh, they know that, you know, sometimes they might not see the spotlight. And, and that's okay. But yeah. also, they also know if you're running for people that you've played with for years and years, they're having fun listening to their friends do silly things, right? Or <laughs> or, or arguing on the side with each other. And now that we're on Roll20 and in the chat, what's going on? <laughs> or, you know, throwing things out there to change, change things up when they want right. to. Right, mix it up and stuff. So I think those are the, the criteria for... Uh, your ideal group size I would say if you're a new GM smaller is better yes uh, more intimate is better so there is no ideal group size it all depends on the game GM and the genre so so there you go so there you go this is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene have a good day